Well, happy Friday, everybody. My name's Larry Jacobs. This is 3K12 Education Talk Radio on January 6th, 2023. Okay, the end of our first week back in the new year. And everybody, if you haven't been listening this week, happy new year. Hope you have a good one. <clears throat> and it just goes better from here. It's snowing here today in Maine. Okay, and uh, hopefully it's not snowing where you are. All right, but yeah, we're used to it over here. Maybe it's snowing down in Connecticut where we're going today. Okay, we're going to talk to one of my favorite school districts, two exemplars down there. Okay, Dr. Lizette Torres, who's the director of equity at Meriden Connecticut Public Schools, also director of instruction, I might add. She's been there for over 20 years, which I assume makes it a permanent job. Okay, and also we've got Simone James Abiola. Simone is an equity award winner from our Equity and Access Awards magazine. She's the fifth grade teacher in Meriden Public Schools. We've even gotten her a book contract. This is going to be great stuff, okay? She's been teaching for six years and is one of the district's equity leaders. And we're interested in equity because, as you know, we are the American Consortium for Equity in Education. And everything we do is over at ACE, A-C-E dash E-D dot O-R-G, ACE dash ed dot org. It's where our magazine, Equity and Access, is. It's our online journal. You'll love it if you go over. Just click on the cover and enjoy the issue. All our podcasts are over there under the podcast link. You can go over to our other websites, Teacher Retention and SEL. You'll see them listed over there, plus all the news etc and all the award winners okay uh who are being honored in our next issue of the magazine and all that sort of stuff and on today's show so please go over to eighth-ed.org and check it all out we're proud of what we do we thank you for going over there so often and if, if you haven't been going been over there please do so and enjoy what we do and i assume my two guests start together i'm going to find out in a second simone are you there yes i am good morning Good morning. I'm Larry Jacobs. It's a pleasure to have you here. you got to call me Larry. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Larry. Oh, you're welcome. Lizette, are you there? I am here with Simone. Thanks for having Good. us today, Larry. Are you kidding, Madam Director, Dr. Torres? It's a pleasure to have you here. It's always <laughs> a pleasure to have my friends from Meriden on here and say hello to Barb and Mark and everybody over there. Would you do that for me? <laughs> okay. We definitely okay, will. Good. Thank you very much. Okay, it's a great district, and I think you, the work you guys do in a very diverse district is really, really important. I love getting the word out there for that. So, Lizette, let's start with you, okay? We're going to talk about we, – we, we are the American Consortium for Equity in Education. We really do care about this, okay? And I know you guys too, but equity is an easy word to say, and it's a hard thing to do, okay? So, Jeff, why don't you give us the overview, oh, Madam Director of Equity, and tell us what's going on over there in Meriden. <laughs> Okay, thank you, Larry. We'll get to the author in a few minutes. Okay, we'll talk about that. <laughs> okay. yeah. um, thanks, Larry. So as you said, I've been in Meriden for over 20 years, but I was also a high school student here um, many, many years ago. Um, so um, kind of born and raised here. So I've seen the, the shift um, that we've done around equity. And I really believe that Meriden Public Schools has been at the forefront of ensuring equitable systems for all of our students. Um, we've increased learning. Great. Good. We've increased no, learning for all of our students yep. through um, collapsing levels at the high schools. We went from five to two. Students can take courses at the academic or accelerated levels, and both lead to access to our advanced placement courses. And we're really proud that we have 1,263 students at our high schools, yep. which is 51% of our student population, currently enrolled wow. in AP classes. 
Um, and 54% wow. of those students identify as students of color. Well, that's so we're really proud of those efforts. Yeah. You, you should be, and uh, I forgot to ask, describe the district, if you can, demog- you know, how many schools, the demographics, so to speak. A lot of people use free and reduced lunch as a, some sort of standard, too. Can you give us just a picture of the district? Lizette? Sure. So we have eight elementary schools, three middle, two high schools um, well, in our district. Which is your favorite and high school? Which team do you root for, Lizette? There's a, that's a loaded question. Well, I'll say that, that I, I graduated from Maloney High School a long time ago. Go, go Maloney. I'm not full of baloney. How's that for a cheer? <laughs> okay. Okay, um, good. There you go. Our, I'm looking at my, So our student population, <laughs> um, we have 8,600 students about, and over 73% of our students identify students of color, with our largest wow. group being Hispanic um, and 15% wow. being multilingual learners. Wow, that, that very that is incredibly diverse and wonderful. Okay, and I know that your district. You know, when I hear those numbers, to me that's a ver- that's a great advantage to a school district. Okay, to have that kind of diversity and then teach to it, so to speak, and use that. Okay, to build. A, a diverse and, and complementary attitude among students and teachers. I think that's just wonderful. Okay, that, that, and that those numbers to me reflect very, very good and strong things. Okay, about about your district. Okay, so uh, I'm going to swing over to Simone. Simone, you're a fifth grade teacher, right? Yes, I am. I'm fifth grader. Wow. And and you've been there for what six years now. Yes, it's my sixth year. Um, also, still wow. my sixth year teaching fifth grade. I've always done fifth grade. I absolutely love it. They're a great group to work with. Right. How long did you stay in fifth grade yourself when you were there? Was that just one year? <laughs> or did you stay? <laughs> just, just one year for me. I tell my students I've been in fifth grade seven times. <laughs> Wait, did you go to school in Meriden, too? Or are you from there? You from I actually there? didn't. I did not go to school in Meriden. But I, I live here, and I work here now, and I absolutely love it. Okay, cool. Where, where, where are you from originally? Connecticut. I'm from West Haven in Connecticut. Oh, I know it well. Okay, I know it well. All right, and that's that's pretty cool. So you know, we have you listed as well. Certainly, you're an award winner. So congratulations on that. We're so proud to have you on the show and have you in our magazine. We're going to honor you in the next issue. You're also considered, obviously, one of the district's equity leaders. Okay, and we know it's a diverse district, but you're teaching fifth grade. These are what nine-year-olds? Am I right? Where, what are they? Are they nine? They're about nine, ten years old. Yeah. Okay. So they're nine and ten. Okay. How do you approach equity in your mind in your classroom to them? Okay. It's an it's a it's a, it's a cool question. So for me in my classroom, it's really important to create an inclusive and a welcoming environment that is really representative, you know, of our students, of our population. Um, so they're able to see themselves in the environment and even in the materials that we use. Um, fifth graders are very inquisitive. They're very curious. They have lots of questions. So it's, it's we have just so many opportunities for um, just great critical conversations. When we're reading books. They want to know, you know, more. They ask questions that have to do with their own identities and, and yeah, um, about nice. the world around them. Um, just like, for an example, when we're reading about Westward Expansion, you know, they, they really notice who we're talking about and they want to know, um, you know, how these historical events impact people and how it connects to them today. So really every opportunity that we get to connect, you know, the past to the present and to who they are yeah. is just, you know, just 
an opportunity that I can't pass up as a teacher because that's what we're here for. Um, and being that we're in a district that is so diverse, there's just so many opportunities for us yeah. to bring in their own experiences. You're bringing out the history teacher in me. I used to be a history teacher. You know, the the impact of, of Latino culture on our westward expansion is absolutely impressive. Okay, if everybody remembers, you know, Texas and all that land in New Mexico was part of Mexico. It was a fully Latino culture. Okay, until quote the westward expansion, the manifest destiny, the Texas Revolution, go right down the whole list. But that has a lot to do with Hispanic impact. Okay, and when I was a teacher, okay, back many years ago, we didn't teach that. Okay, mm. we did not teach that. We simply taught the, uh, I'll say the facts. You know, and the, and the words manifest destiny and all that. But that has to be taught today because we, the, the kids that you're teaching today had no bearing on the way I was teaching history. Okay? And that was wrong on our part. Okay? I'm talking about a long time ago now. Okay? And so the way you do it now, it's so darn important to put these kids okay, into American history and their background, their ancestors into American history and see how it impacts everything today. I, I, that, that's my speech for today, but you just got me going as the old history teacher, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's, it's really just great. It's great stuff as you do the, the westward expansion, et cetera. I mean, California was completely Latino, okay? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's astounding when you think about it. Okay, and you know, even when we were talking about it, it was it was very surprising to them. I showed them on the map where the border was between you know the yeah. U.S. And, and Mexico. What well, was Mexico? And they're shocked to know that the border crossed people um, and how that changed the population. So it really is important for them to know. Yeah, and the very people, the very cultures that that owned it are having trouble coming back into it. Okay, today it's it's an absolutely amazing story. Okay, and it has to be taught so these kids understand the role they play, or at least their ancestors or, or their culture plays in the American story. I, th I think it's just really important. I'm so glad you're doing it. How do, you know, I have to ask, how do the kids react to all this kind of thing? Okay, do they, do they understand how important, do they start to get the feeling that their cultures were important? And by the way, I left out African-American kids, okay, and the African-Americans played a, 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 a perhaps a lesser role in Western culture, but an important one, okay? And they were part of it, and we tend to ignore that, too, at least when I was teaching. I hope we get back into that, okay? Simone, how do the kids react to all this? I think it's great. I love this kind of conversation. I think they, I think it really excites them, honestly. Like I said, fifth graders are very, very curious, so a lot of times they're asking the questions that are starting the conversations. Um, they, they want to know more. Um, so. Yeah. When I present information to them and I'm, you know, I, I present all the information, I allow them to make their own kind of opinions and, and come to conclusions about the things that we're learning. But I find that when I present information, they always ask more questions and they ask even, you know, hard questions that sometimes it's hard for adults to talk about too. Um, but they just, they want to be informed and they, and they want answers. <laughs> or sometimes I'll even have them, you know, look into things on their own and do their own research too. But it definitely matters to them and they absolutely value wow. being able to see themselves in our history. Wow, that's great. And talk about seeing themselves. I want to swing back to Lizette for a second. Lizette, part of the role of equity and instruction, I might add, is, to, is so that today's students, especially kids of color, okay, can see themselves in professional roles later in life, 
Okay, you guys are excellent examples of education professionals that they're seeing, your role models. Okay, but there's doctors and lawyers and engineers and airline pilots and anything else you can think of. Okay, and uh, as you develop equity and instruction for the school district, Lizette, which you're responsible for, okay, how do you have the kids see themselves in the future? Okay, I'm just curious as you think about that, that I know you do. We do think about it, you know, and I know you do. again, have, having been, you know, born and raised here in Meriden and, and being a student here and then actually going back to teach, you know, at the high school I graduated from um, and being, you know, that <laughs> role model or that example for students um, of color to see, you know, right here in Meriden, we have several who, you know, that's what we've done. We've come back and we've worked in our own, in our own community. Yeah. Um, but I think part of what we're, what we're doing um, is really starting with, with our staff. Um, and making sure, you know, we're going through um, training. We have our assistant principals and supervisors being trained um, with Lenise Stevenson, who's the founder and researcher for Center for Applied Research and Equity, and we're focusing Mm -hmm. on culturally and linguistically responsive pedagogy. And as Mm -hmm. we go through this professional learning, we're then turnkeying it for every single building in our district. So every teacher is getting this important learning, which then will, you know, help our students as we take deep dives into understanding ourselves we can then understand our, those around us and, more importantly, our students um, and help within our classrooms so that our classrooms become um, those safe spaces um, to meet the needs of all our students, um, especially our students of color. That, that's, so that's, I think it's that's really wonderful. starting with, with our teachers that's, so we can get that into our classrooms for students. Well, that is absolute. I'm, I'm not surprised at any of this considering how well I know Meriden, but I, I, I'm just so thrilled. Okay, that you're doing this, and I have to ask you a question. When, when I'm just going to use a math teacher. Okay, math is a pretty culturally can be, if I may. Okay, a culturally neutral subject. Okay, so how does what you just said apply to someone? If if you can answer this, who's teaching math? Okay, they have to understand their kids. They have to understand where those kids are coming from, et cetera. But how does the cultural part, if I may, if you can answer it, I'm not sure you can at this stage of the game, work its way into, like, teaching math. I, mean, I think it's important that the math teachers understand cultural relevancy, et cetera. Okay, for, and the old classic example of that is that we don't use a, as a word problem two yachts racing for kids of lower socioeconomic scale. Okay, they don't even Correct. know what the hell the yacht race is. Okay, that's the classic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just just talk about how that like infiltrates everybody's edu- teaching tools. Okay. If you can. So you know, I taught English, but wasn't a fan of math. Um, but I think about the <laughs> join the club. You know, if there's a club, you, yeah. you're, I will join together. So go ahead. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Um, yeah. But I think, like you said, it's, it's ensuring, you know, um, we kind of go through the, the 27 equitable classroom practices and, and seeing the different things that teachers can do that are observable um, to ensure the classrooms, you know, are meeting the needs of the students in that area. So we think about, like you said, the math problem. We want to make sure that the, it's relevant to what our students know yeah. and that they see themselves, even like in English and history classes, we want them to see themselves in the, the works that we're reading. We want them to see themselves in their own experiences in the math problems that they're working on. Mm-hmm. Because then it becomes real to them. Then they can yeah. make that connection, and they're more likely to engage in the content and to understand it better. Yeah, you got to put it all into context, and that's what was missing from my mathematics education. I never understood why we were learning it, so I never bothered to learn it. Okay, it's that simple. 
okay? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm pick, not picking on math teachers. I think they're terrific. But, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it, this is what we have to do as educators in 2023, okay? We okay. have to think about that pre-K-12, okay? It, 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 it's unbelievable. How else – let me go back to Simone. Simone, how else, okay, are, are, do you work with equity when you think about it? Okay, now I, I bet it's on your mind a lot. Okay, so you know how do you want to? Because you want to make it right for all the kids. Okay, beyond, beyond history teaching. Yeah, I mean, in every really aspect of our classroom, um, even you just mentioned math, even in math, you know, holding yeah. all students to those high expectations, <laughs> our English learners, you know, our, our SED students, oh, every single point. student should be held to those high expectations and, and thinking about how we can connect what we're doing to who they are. Um, and just some other things and equity I, I, I've been doing um, with the district, currently um, we are our facilitating a student club for students to be engaged more in these conversations about racial equity and increasing their mm-hmm. knowledge about um, identity and becoming advocates for themselves and for others. Um, so we've been working on that at our school. As an equity leader, um, I've been very fortunate to engage in some learning um, just around racial equity and being able to um, facilitate conversations with staff and, and with my Good. own colleagues. Um, we've had a, a book club where we, you know, read a text, that was really focused on racial equity and specifically in education and learning about how we can apply those things to our classrooms. So in so many different ways, both in my classroom, but then also with colleagues and, and district-wide, I've been really fortunate to be a part of the, this work and be a part of this conversation. Yeah, and, 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 you know, those conversations you have with people about equity, which in many times boil down to race, okay? And mm-hmm. that's not an easy thing to talk about a lot. Okay, people can, you know, it can, it can be a little bit confrontational, a little bit guilt-ridden, if I may, okay? A little bit aggressive sometimes, if I may, but they're important conversations, okay? And for you to be able to lead that type of conversation and make people feel comfortable with that, okay, in a very diverse age, okay, that's a, that's a, that's a real gift that you have. I have to tell you, both of you, that's a real gift that you have because that's not easy to do. Okay. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Okay. And I just want—it's very difficult to do. Okay. So my my question is: Okay, now, okay, Simone has been awarded a book contract. Now I'm going to give you a good title for the book to make it a bestseller. Okay. (laughs) I'm going with going with the Simone. Okay. It's. But, That's a great so, title. Right, how, wait a minute. How, how about Moby Simone? Moby Simone? Okay. <laughs> Even better. The Godfather, Part 4. You can name the book whatever you want, but you're going to work at yeah, what time publishing. Okay. What do you, what, as you think about it, okay, what, do you, what are you thinking about doing? Yeah, so like now, if said, you thought um, about it at all, this. I think this is fun. Or you're suddenly, now you've got an assignment. <laughs> so you I know, one, I'm writing one. essays every <laughs> day terrible? now. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Okay. We, think we're out, we think we're done with that, but we're not. Okay, so we're giving you an assignment, but you're important. Okay, so the book contract, what are you doing? Yeah, so the book contract has been ordered from um, Time 10 Publications. And, yes, I have. So the, the general idea of the book will be um, focused on ways that schools can shift towards having an anti-racist lens and all the things that we're doing, um, and then providing practices and frameworks that they can implement in order to do that. That's excellent. And, 
you know, you said that that, that, that schools should have an anti-racist lens. Okay, as you go, and I, I know you teach in Meriden, which is pretty liberal, good community. Okay, but as you look at schools, uh, friends who teach, etc., do you think there's a certain amount of racism in, in education? I'm curious. I do. I do. Um. Yeah. So I I'm think curious. that you know yeah. when we consider you know the the history, um, it's it's unrealistic to think that you know. The historical context and, and the ways that racism was has been really legal in so many ways that that has just disappeared, you know, and even the beliefs that have been passed down through generations that those things just, you know, have gone away. So we have to, I think, be really honest about the ways that those things still impact every yeah. aspect of society and, and even education. When we look at um, data oh, yeah. about our students and, and their achievement, it's really important, I think, to be honest about how race still impacts you know, our, our students' success, and, and, it, and it shouldn't, but unfortunately it still does. So I think that, um, you know, being willing to be vulnerable in that sense and, and saying, okay, well, maybe there are some things we need to work on. Maybe we do need to adopt an anti-racist lens so that we can address those things. Um, it, it's really powerful for our students, you know, so that we can provide them with everything that they need to be successful, and part of that is just shifting our own practices and mindsets. It's good. And let me pass you guys in the audience on to something that I found out about on Tuesday. If you, if you just Google this, which is called Jane Crow, then and now. Jane Crow, then and now. It's about how racism, and this is, it was just, this is astounding, in women, okay, in women, you always think of men, okay, in women has affected education. Okay, and the article is from a group called Brightbeam Ed Post, and it's called. We had the author on the other day, and it's called Jane Crow Then and Now. And I heartily invite people to do it. It's not a guilt-ridden piece. Nobody's supposed to feel guilty when you're done, but it's a historical perspective. Okay, of how literally white women, okay, have have impacted education racially, and it's a very very good series of articles. There you go. How's that one? You can plagiarize that one if you want to. Okay. Okay, but it's worth reading. Okay, for yeah. both for both of you and everybody, I might add. It really just fascinated me. I thought it was going to be a different type of show when we booked it, and it turned out to be extremely interesting from a historical mm-hmm. perspective. You know, Simone, I have to ask you, you know, now that you've been, quote, <laughs> assigned to write a book, is that hard to sit down and get the first page done? <laughs> I've actually, you know, been very, very uh, diligently trying to write every week. So, thankfully, once I got a little bit started, it, it's been going. But I definitely have to keep myself to a schedule, that's for sure. <laughs> there you go. Uh, don't start with call me Ishmael. Use something else, and I think we'll go from there. <laughs> Okay, that is that is uh, really though so it's it's really it's it's really cool and fun, but it's something to really think about a lot. Okay, you know when when as you write this kind of thing, what's the impact you want to make? Do you want to make it to newer teachers, to experienced teachers? Where do you see the information importance lies? Mm-hmm. Um, I really hope that it provides. A, a starting point for, for schools or for district, or even if it is a single educator who's looking to begin this work within their school or their classroom or even, you know, school-wide. Um, I know, like you mentioned, it, it can be very, um, you know, anxiety-inducing. There can be oh, a lot yeah. of hesitation when yeah. we're talking about race sure. and, and other racial topics. So I hope that 
with the practical things and, and um, just the, the, the suggestions and the framework that I'll be providing the book, that it gives a starting point, it gives some ways for people to begin and, and a good resource um, that makes people feel maybe a little bit more comfortable about how they can get started with this work or even continuing the work um, because I know it can be, it can feel like a big task, um, but there's just so much out there and hopefully this will be yeah. another resource that folks can use to do that. Yeah, you're going to have a great time, and working with Mark Barnes over there at Times 10, is, is, he's a great guy, okay? And I know he's going he, to help you all, all the way along. Don't think you're alone out there, because you're not. And uh, what, you, what you're going to write and the experience you bring, especially, have, have you been a teacher longer than five years, or are you, how long have you been a teacher? Yeah, this is my sixth year. Okay, so you started at Meriden, I guess was my point. So you're five years in. You're a new teacher. Okay, and after five years, a lot of teachers burn out, especially these mm -hmm. days. Okay, and they move on. I get the impression you are not doing that. I get the impression that's not getting to be a, too big a problem in Meriden, which is really congratulatory statement to the school district. Okay, so what keeps you in there? Okay, and how you help the kids is extremely important. It's really, it's really important stuff, and you're a shining example of the right way to do stuff. You know, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Okay, Lizette, I got to ask you a question. Okay, a very diverse district. Okay, do you see the kids? And you have kids. You know, would you say seventy-three percent Latino? A lot of African American kids. Okay, Caucasian kids. Whatever the rest of the mix is, etc. How do the kids all get along these days? And uh, as you, as you as you push equity into the yeah. curriculum, which you should, are they getting along better? Maybe that's a good way to put it. You know, yeah, I'm glad that you bring that up because, you know, hearing from our students um, is always important for us. Yeah. And one thing that I was able to do last year in my first year in this role was um, we did two student videos last year on student voice and hearing from students of color. So I was able to sit down um, during Hispanic Heritage Month and then also during Black History Month with um, Hispanic and African American students in our district and really hear from them what their experiences have been like. Um, so those videos are on our website if you want to see them. Yep. But it was a great experience to sit down and ask them, you know, as a student of color in Meriden Public Schools, what is your experience? Um, and in interviewing different students, the experience overwhelmingly has been very positive. And they shared with how, you know, they get along with everyone and everyone is, is you know, you, you're passing in the hall and you're saying, hi, it didn't matter um, yeah, what the student um, race was. Um, it, it so I think matter. that, you know, we've done a really great job in the district um, to um, have all of our students feeling welcomed. Yeah, and I have to, I have to tell you just a story out of my own background. Uh, I went to school in Philadelphia, okay, K-12 in Philadelphia back a long, long time ago, and I went to Overbrook High School, which at that time had 5,000 kids in it, okay, okay. grades 10, mm -hmm. 10, 11, and 12, okay? It was about 85% black, all right? We all had homeroom together, okay? So all the J's, so to speak, the JAs were in one homeroom, okay? It was with all the Jacksons, et cetera, okay? And uh, it was fine. We were all friends. But once the bell rang, I never saw those kids the rest of the day. I don't know where the hell they went all day, but they went to classes, I think, in, in the business part or whatever they were learning, where all the white kids were in the academic, except for a very tiny percentage of the black kids. Okay, and as I think back over that, I think why that was that was a, a self fulfilling prophecy. Okay, that the black kids weren't going to go to college, and somehow they were directed. 
okay, into the lesser classes. Okay, think about that for a second. And I, I think about that a lot these days. What happened to all those kids all during the day ooh, and in the lunchroom? Where were they when I was going to my academic classes? And thank God okay, that has changed. You said at the beginning how many kids of color okay, are in your advanced classes and all that sort of thing. I mean, right. but there were tremendous errors back then okay, that we just mm-hmm. took for granted, by the way. I'm not saying I'm any kind of uh, hero. Okay, we took that stuff for granted back then. Okay, and thank God it is changing because I can't tell you how many kids, how many, you know, the old saying, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. I can't tell you how many minds we wasted, okay, Mm -hmm. with the self-fulfilling prophecy of those kids that they can't go to college. Okay, it's Mm -hmm. it's absolutely unbelievable, and that's that's what we work to avoid today is that stupid racial prejudice, if I may. Your thoughts on my latest rant? Well, you know, I, I yeah, I think about that because, um, you know, we had a a session earlier in the week with our um, assistant principals and we were talking about, you know, our culture stories and and just our own school belonging stories. And, you know, hearing what you're just saying made me think of, you know, my own experience as a student, you know, um, here in Meriden, you know, many years ago and feeling like the only student of color in those accelerated classes um, yeah. Feeling very isolated, you know, very, you know, not being seen, and to know that over 51% of our students, <clears throat> excuse me, are in those advanced classes now, and 54% are students of color, and it's just fantastic the shift the district has made to ensure that all that of our amazing? students. And yes, yes, it yeah. is, you know, just, um, and it's it makes great. you so proud. That you having been born and raised here, so proud to see um, how far um, our district has come in our school system. Yeah, it is amazing. By the way, I meant to ask at the beginning, uh, 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 teacher ratio, you said it was 70, 73% Latino, uh, whatever whatever the rest of the percent. How are we doing teacher ratio on that? It's very hard to, to get people of color into education these days. We've got to work on that. Okay. We do have to work on that, and we are working doing. on that. Yeah, yeah, we're we're doing pretty well. Um, you know, we still have a long way to go. Um, but yeah. you know, I think back in you know the hiring year of 2018-19, we hired 16% um, teachers of color, um, and this year we hired Good. 27% teachers Ooh, of color. So right. we're making gains. We're making efforts. Um, we're currently um, working on recruiting efforts and targeting future teachers coming out of. Hispanic colleges, as well as our um, historically black colleges and universities. So we're actually um, engaged in that work right now so we can recruit more teachers. Um, but then we also, when we look at the recruitment, we look at, you know, how are we retaining them um, to yeah. ensure that when yeah. they're here, they're, they too are feeling seen and, and heard. Um, so we do have an affinity group for our um, students, our teachers of color, excuse me, okay. um, which is that safe space. Um, for, you know, and it's not just teachers, it's all of our staff. It could be, you know, the the para, it could be the the custodian, the secretary, um, teachers, every staff member in the district um, of color is welcome to attend, and it's really that safe space to to share our stories and to share our experiences. Yeah, you know, that is is so darn important, and I, I, I I will just say what I've always thought about. We have trouble recruiting kids of color into education and one of the reasons we have that trouble over the years okay is because they didn't have a great time in school things are changing for the better now as as simone said you know you've got the kids engaged in their learning they're going to have a better time culturally responsive so to speak in school 
Okay, but if you don't have a good time, you're not going to make a, a decision to spend the rest of your life working in a place you didn't have a good time for 12 years. Okay, so right. if we if we make school more engaging for people for children of color, if I may, okay, you're going to find it's going to be a lot easier. Okay, to recruit people in, in edu- people of color into education so they come back into it. Okay, it's it's we we created a vicious cycle and now we're going to get rid of that once and for all. You two are amazing. Okay, I'll buy the book, Simone. I'll buy the book. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, okay. And now I, I'm in touch. In fact, Mark's going to be on the show. I think next week. Okay, Mark Barnes, your publisher, but. Uh, I'll try to remind him, but when this book comes out, when you write the book, etc., we want you to come back on the show. Okay? Oh, thank you so much. I'd love that. We'll get the interview with the author, and this time you're the author. (laughs) Okay? Absolutely. I'd love to do that. Thank you so much, Larry. uh, You're welcome. Thank you, ladies. You're both wonderful. Okay? And have a great school year, and it's almost Martin Luther King Day, so you get another day off. Isn't that good? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Happy New Year to both of you, and have a great, great school year. Great, great half of the school year coming up. Okay. Thank Thank you you so much. Thanks for having us. Okay. Take care. Please say hi to Barb and Mark for me over there. Okay. But we definitely will. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye bye. 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 Wow. Good folks. Simone James Abiola, an Equity Award winner, Meriden, Connecticut, going to get a. She's got a book publication deal with with, um, Times 10 Publishing. Okay, a lovely person, obviously, Dr. Lizette Torres, who's the director of equity and instruction at Meriden Connecticut Schools, which is a damn good school district. Okay, that's all I have to tell you on that. Check it out. It's, uh, I guess, uh, just Google Meriden Schools. Okay, M-E-R-I-D-E-N. We're going to archive the show over at ace-ed.org. Everybody have a good first weekend of 2023. We will up here, and I'll be back with you on Monday. My name's Larry Jacobs. See everything we do over at ace-ed.org. Thanks.